everybody. Welcome to episode 13 of No Doubt. Uh, Michael Rogers, we've got Isaac Schluter, Daniel Shaw, and Max Ogdenon, and hopefully James Halliday Substack will join us in a bit as soon as he recompiles his Linux kernel or whatever the hell he does. Um, today's a special show. Uh, we're doing our, our favorite modules. Uh, everybody on the show has picked three modules that they really like, uh, and they're going to talk about those. Uh, and we've also solicited uh, some feedback from the audience uh, on what modules they like, and we'll get into those a little bit later. Uh, all right, so Daniel, why don't you start us off? So my go-to in pretty much anything that uh, I build is request. Um, I've got... Um, you know, that is as a baseline and it just, you know, it makes my life easier. I still haven't used the, uh, OAuth, uh, capabilities of it. And I'm, it's like, I'm, I'm almost want to like build a project with the excuse of like being able to use that because last time I built up, that's the first time I think I've ever heard somebody say that they would like to do something and then OAuth was in the same time. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and also it's only good for OAuth 1 because OAuth 2 is so simple that you wouldn't need any kind of library support. You literally just take the token and you're like, done. done. Um, but, uh, yeah, OAuth 1, I mean, it works with uh, Flickr and Twitter are really the only APIs that I can think of that need it. I mean, Facebook and Foursquare and everybody else is on OAuth 2 now. So, so last, last time I built out something with the, the uh, OAuth module, it was... Uh, you know, less suboptimal, and uh, you know, having that in there is really amazing. Um, so, yeah, the request is uh, absolutely essential. Um, so, number two is uh, is not a module; is a, is a is a G is a global module. Um, it's JSON tool, which uh, provides a uh, um, command line. It actually, you know, I, I usually actually call it JSON. Um, you know, it, on the command line, it uh, it's bin is uh, JSON, and I just pipe everything to it, and it it preprints it, and it does. Um, uh, it'll go through and, and select elements from uh, the the object, um, and it like. Data that that I'm uh, you know curling from um, from our servers or whatever all gets piped through through JSON tool. It uh, it it really makes makes my life easier. Is anyone else using JSON tool? Do you guys? Uh, oh yeah, um, we we use that like crazy. That that was actually that's written. That's the one that Trent make wrote, right? Right, right. Um, yeah, he's a, a joint employee. We use that all over the place. Our um, internal tools and stuff. All speak JSON to one another, and so, you know, I, I think he basically wrote it for the stuff that we're doing internally at Joint, and um, you know, all of our APIs return send and return uh, JSON back and forth. So, like, that's great and all until you want to like actually look at it and debug stuff by hand, and then you know you really want it print, pretty printed, and sometimes you just kind of you have like a hundred things, and what you want to do is just see one field, so. It's got some really nice little flags and stuff for that. Yeah, it, it handles a, a, a lot of um, our bigger data at Voxer is um, in uh, um, Curliff JSON. It's a uh, you know, line delimited uh, JSON, and it handles mm -hmm. that beautifully too. Like I'm 
amazed that uh, you know I just throw it at it and you know it it, it takes it, digests it, handles it. Um, nice. Does does basically what it, what I wanted to do. Um, we we have it installed uh, as like our you know provision box. It's it's part of our our system install. Um, you know, it's that it's that useful to us and that important to us. Um, every every box, yeah, I, box gets it. I think it's uh, I think it's a default part of um, if not SmartOS, then definitely Smart Data Center. I think like all of our zones and stuff are, are come with that equipped because we just use it so much. Right and uh, finally, uh, th- this is, this is included uh, with the different different uh, lineup, but. Uh, uh, I've, I've gone, uh, gone around, uh, I, I did tap for a while and assertion and I you know, basically, uh, standardized the, the team on, uh, using Mocha as our testing framework and, uh, I've, I've been really happy with it. So what do you like about it? Um, it, well, one, pick one, like pick a, a, a standard for the, the, the team and, you know, go with that. Um, there's no framework. You just don't allow frameworks. That's a really good thing. What's that? <laughs> what if the standard <laughs> does not allow frameworks? Like, you're not allowed to use a framework. That's a standard. It's called Node. It, it is called Node. And, like, yeah, that, that assertion and, and very like, lightweight is, is good. Um, a lot of the... Um, a lot of the tests that we've been writing have been, you know, documented type tests like this is this is our understanding of the code and, and how it should be and uh, um, you know going through it like that and I've actually been using the should BDD style uh, um, much to my surprise and uh, just find find like finding that I write more tests with it so like that is a win and like the objective is to you know have better test coverage and uh, um, and have that that shared understanding of the code. Um, so doesn't yeah, uh, I'm, I'm totally Mocha, Mocha has a Mocha has a thing now to output tap output as well, right? Yes, it does. It has, and I, I think uh, it actually depends on Node Tap, which is sort of interesting. I, it's really uh, <laughs> makes me. Think we should probably split tap up into two modules, so you don't have like a test runner including another test runner. But I mean, whatever. It's, right. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't actually load right. the test runner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tap it has its own thing. Not really. Uh, it has tap output. It has um, almost too many different options. Um, it you know has pretty landing strip progress bars and all kinds of crazy stuff. But uh, yeah, the, my objective is, uh, you know, in, especially with this code base that I'm working on, is to get more tests in. And I you know I just got into a, a solid groove, and uh, it seems to 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 be a um, a good you know cross team communication mechanism. So been using it a lot. And all my new modules have been with Mocha tests. Cool. On to something less annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I wanted to bring up before we left this section, 
when you were talking about requests, we kind of glossed over requests. And uh, there's this library in Python called. You're breaking up. We can't hear you for some reason, or at least I can't hear you. Yeah, AT and T yeah. internet. Yeah, right, go go. Uh, Tell your go roommates to, to stop tower. downloading porn on BitTorrent. My roommates don't know how to use BitTorrent. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, is that you can't hear me at all? Uh, no, you we, sort of, you're, you're you back. Seem to cut out after you talk. Now you're all right. Yeah. So okay. request. The, there's the, a the, Python key, the key thing module. that you were trying to tell us. Uh, drop, the name of it dropped out. Oh, there's requests. a Python module called. Oh, request. It's like request. Request with an S on the end. <laughs> oh, okay. And, and it's the same thing as request in Node, like the same API almost. But I asked the author, and he was like, I have no idea about the Node module. I came up with this myself. So it's kind of this, uh, this testament that HTTP can be done right, and it can be done right independently, and they can have the same name in two different languages. And languages that don't have a request module yet need to get a request module ported to them because... Uh, it's almost like there's old school JavaScript and then there's new school JavaScript. I think that there's old school HTTP and there's new school HTTP. And the new school HTTP kind of just looks like request or requests. But some languages don't have an equivalent library yet. Well, so, I mean, I, I wrote it, so I guess I can speak to this a little bit. I, I think that in everything that it did in the early days, um, where it was just, you know, here's a simple way to make HTTP calls and then get a callback. And then all of the features that we added, that even all the way up to now, to, to OAuth. Um, all of that stuff you can do pretty easily um, in any other language. I think some of the crazy, amazing things that Request does with, with piping uh, with streams where you just take something off the file system and you can put it to any web service or you can do these one-line proxies where you proxy things to web services and S3 and all that kind of stuff. Like Those are amazing. Like, th those are some of the coolest things that Request does. And those aren't really portable to other languages because their languages don't have streams. And, they, and many other platforms as well, like Python and Ruby, they don't define the HTTP server interface necessarily either. So you can't do a lot of that interesting kind of streaming. And they, sometimes they don't even define the, the file system object interface. So. I think some of those some of those things um, aren't going to be doable in other languages, but every language should have a good enough thing. It, every every language should have a request that looks like request two years ago, basically. Right, and like um, to speak to Ruby, I haven't seen one in Ruby that does that, and I know in a lot of other languages, HTTP requests is like okay, first you must subclass something and then define your own interface on top, and it gets really bad really quickly. So. Um, to people out there who are not really into Node, who are listening, try to find a sane HTTP lib library to use, and it'll make your life a lot easier. Yeah, it's it's amazing the things that that op the doors that that opens up to, like the the things that you wouldn't have even really considered doing. Um, that once you have a decent HTTP client and server implementation, it's like, oh, I I could just use HTTP. Well, there's more status codes than just 404. <laughs> I didn't right, even know. right. Um, yeah, I think like Node uh, again, Node defining you know the file object uh, and the subprocess object and and the HTTP objects like that ends up being really powerful. And the fact that our extension method is not subclassing them, it's it's adding things to them after they're instantiated. Um, that extensibility pattern means that we're able to do a lot of crazy things and build a lot of value on top of these objects that um, I think other people in other languages wouldn't won't be able to do. <sighs> so anyway, All right. Uh, Max, think, moving, you, moving on to Max. Yeah, it's your turn. Yes. While your internet is still up. Yes. Cool. Okay. Um, so I cheated a little bit, and I want to talk about a module that's built into Node um, because it's so 
useful everywhere and no matter what module you're using. And I'm actually of the opinion that if, they, if you're not using this module, you're doing it wrong um, pretty much always. Um, and that is the stream module. Um, so you can go to nodejs.org to find information out about streams and the stream module. Um, basically, when I moved to Node, I came from um, other dynamic languages and I was used to doing things like, okay, if I'm going to upload, uh, make an upload form, and I really hope somebody doesn't upload a, a thing that's bigger than the amount of memory on my server. And if I'm hosting it on like a crappy VPS somewhere, it's like, man, I really hope that all the files that these people upload are like less than 50 megabytes. Or I really hope that they don't upload a CSV that's like 100,000 rows and they have to wait 10 minutes for the server to like swap and figure out how to parse everything. So um, I, I came in to Node with a naive understanding of what streaming really means. And now that I understand the difference between what a streaming parser is and what maybe a blocking parser is or what um, streaming versus non-streaming um, looks like when you're writing a web server, I am totally freaking addicted to making sure that everything streams because then you have these kind of pure... Um, it's like this gets a little functional programming wanky sounding, but you have these like composable services that you don't, you don't have to worry about um, servers running out of memory or whatever because you can just push data through these pipe chains and everything will work out magically most of the time. Um, so I remember we were sitting at Node Summer Camp last summer and I believe um, Ryan was sitting there and uh, Matt Ranney was sitting there and at the time Matt Ranney kind of knew um, the power of back pressure and everybody else who was sitting there Hadn't, you know, nobody had really run a, a node app in that level of production that Foxer was hitting, even at that point. And um, I remember Matt saying to everybody, back pressure is a big deal and you have to, like, the reason node exists is to, like, facilitate certain things like back pressure existing in your, your um, web server. And if you are disregarding that and not writing stuff in node that embraces the stream API, then you're missing the point of node. And everybody else was like, back pressure, that sounds like an edge case. I don't need that. And Matt was sitting there shaking his head like, no, you fools. So I, uh, I think everybody should kind of take a look at the stream API and um, look at modules that are streaming versus modules that aren't streaming and try to understand it a bit more. You know, I think that um, it's, not, it's not too much of, a, of an exaggeration to say that that is exactly what node is for. Like, this is... The, the stream API, and the stream API, just to re repeat again, is going to get a lot cleaned up in, uh, in 0 0.9. Um, but yeah, like, it's not even just about like, speed either. That's a, that's a pretty common misconception. I think there's sometimes this idea that like, oh, well, you know, if you, if you pipe and stream, like, that makes async optimization goodness going to rub it all over my program. It's going to go <laughs> fast. Like, that's not actually how it works. It actually, back pressure makes things go slower. That's the purpose. Right. But what it does is it prevents you from using up all your memory and having some things go fast and other things go slow and then kind of have these like awful chunky bottlenecks. You know, like if, you're, if your server crashes, you're serving zero requests per second. <laughs> so <laughs> if you kind of have to just sort of cross your fingers and pray about how big the uploads are, like that's not really a sustainable approach. Yeah. Um, the, the next module I want to talk about is tangentially related. Um, it's Browserify by Substack. And it showed me the light of all the node patterns that I was learning um, and how they could be used in the browser. So um, 
there's this thing called require.js, which is like um, an asynchronous module definition implementation for script loading progressively kind of in the browser. And it's this huge giant spec and it's this big project with a huge API and um, it's, it's its own DSL. And Substack hates big DSLs, so he wrote Browserify, I think just so he could use all of his node modules that he was doing um, in the client. But in the process of doing that, um, he actually started implementing all of the node core libraries in HTML5. So for instance, um, there's a buffer in node, which is like a, um, a typed array that they abstracted out of V8. And in HTML5 now, there's typed arrays. And so if, um, using Browserify, you can use the HTML5 typed array, but it'll look like a buffer class. So the node code that relies on buffer will still work and do stuff like that. So I was able to use that to get um, a streaming parser that uh, CreationX wrote, a streaming JSON parser to run in the browser. And um, similarly, uh, James also wrapped Ajax, um, Axel actually HTML, XML HTTP request two, he wrapped uh, HTTP from Node, the Node HTTP module around that. So you can run, you can even run request parts. I, I don't know if there's been a test suite that has been run on request in browser, but you can take the actual request source code and the Node core HTTP.js source code, require them into the browser, and then Substack has a shim that makes them run on top of XHR2. Um, some amazing, amazing stuff. So there's a stream API in the browser now, so you can actually like pipe things. Um, if you have stream objects that are instantiated in the browser, you can pipe them between things. And uh, to me, Browserify isn't just like, okay, there's underscore JS and it's a node module. And instead of going and finding the underscore JS that's um, packaged for browser, I'll just use Browserify to like require this JavaScript utility. To me, Browserify is really, um, node has some really cool patterns even in core that you can use in the client. Um, even if you just want to use event emitter in the client. Like I, I was using um, some like micro event library and it had a different API than event emitter and it was kind of ticking me off that I had to remember the different syntax based on if I was in the server or on the client. And in terms of the whole like node is a code reuse platform thing, um, the best example I've seen of that is, yeah, like use nodes event emitter in the client and then you you, you can use the same docs because um, the doc site is uh, a nice one that node has and you don't have to like context switch all the time to use these kind of core javascript evented io abstractions because in the browser there's a shit ton of event evented io pardon my french um uh like there's nine or ten evented io sources that you could do in a browser. So having Node there makes a lot of sense. And also there's, I think, almost 10,000 modules now. A lot of them you could probably get to run on the browser using Browserify, because Browserify does kind of cover basic Node libraries. So um, if you are a client-side developer and you're like, I don't know how to use Node, or I don't even know what I would use Node for, um, think about how you might apply it to Event.io. And I think I'm going to give a talk about this at NodeConf um, in more detail. but. It's a pretty cool. NodeConf talks are secret. Don't don't let the cat out oh. of the bag. Did I say NodeConf? I meant uh, that other conf. BeardConf. Yeah. NodeConf AU. He's speaking of beard. <laughs> <laughs> you should speak uh, at BeardConf about red beard. Oh yeah, that'd be really interesting. Um, I would the go last, to that conference. <laughs> the last module that I have to talk about really quickly. Um, it's actually two modules, but they work together really well. Um, and they're both by Jason Smith, who runs Iris Couch. 
And, and who also um, wrote a uh, uh, browser request. Yes. Oh, yeah. Jason ported request to the browser, um, which is not the same as Browserify running request. Um, this is a, a kind of re-implementation, different source code, same API of request to the browser. So they're both cool projects. Um, but the two modules I want to talk about of his are uh, transaction, um, which is spelled T-X-N. And I think that's a pun because he's from Texas. But he's a, so he's a Texan. Um, and then follow. And they're both intended for CouchDB, but I think that they're generally um, cool ideas. Uh, they're kind of together. They work as a state machine for doing distributed job queues. Um, and playing around with these, if you have any CouchDB experience, is pretty awesome because um, you take a Couch database, which is basically just um, versioned uh, JSON documents over an HTTP API, not strictly versioned, but whatever, and uh, follow connects to a remote um, list of these, these documents documents and says anytime in real time one of them changes emit an event on my end and then transaction takes it a step further and you actually no it's cutting out quite a bit i think that we i think that we lost a lot of the, the information there yeah so go check out texan and follow and don't buy at t don't buy at t home internet yeah they're <laughs> yeah not, they're not friends of the show <laughs> yeah i i use um I use follow quite a bit actually, um, and it's it's really nice. I mean, if you you know a lot of people do this thing where they sit on CouchDB and they wait for documents to hit CouchDB and and then spin off some sort of background asynchronous task and things like that. And follow is like the most well tested one of those. I mean, actually, all of the Iris Couch infrastructure itself runs on that. So um, th there's a library. Yeah, that if I wrote. you want. If you want node modules that do interesting and relevant things with CouchDB, like Iris Couch is. Definitely the company, the, the, the one to look at. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. Have All you right. heard about I, this thing, Bizzler? Uh, I don't know. Where, where are they? They're on the <laughs> whole other side of the planet in Australia. Oh, it's made of kangaroos. Yes, it's a company of kangaroos that are looking for new kangaroos to come and program Node with them in Sydney, Australia for, about, uh, for jobs. And also, I don't know for a fact, but I'm pretty sure that uh, Australian money is worth more than American money. And so no matter what you get paid there, it's like a billion dollars American. Roughly one billion American, yes. Roughly one billion. It's an Instagram um, in American dollars. <laughs> they, they, pay, they pay in Instagrams, actually. <laughs> yeah, they, they hand you Instagrams. Uh, they're good friends of the show. They've been helping us out with spon this sponsorship and um, providing us lots of grist for our mill of terrible jokes about kangaroos um, and toilets spinning the wrong way. Um, I heard that when you're in Australia, you see the other side of the moon at night. Is that true? Or am I making that up? Only if you're a werewolf. Was that a dream I had? I was a werewolf. It's both. Damn it. Anyway, go work there. Um, Australia is pretty cool. Really looking forward to, uh, to going and visiting soon, actually, and confirming and or denying some of the, the ideas that we have about this strange continent on the other side of the rock. Hey, Isaac, you should shoot a, a show called Memory Leak Hunter that's kind of like Crocodile Hunter while you're there. <laughs> oh, that'd be so badass. I thought, it, well, it's more like Ghost Hunters. <laughs> have you ever seen on the History Channel they have a Ghost Hunter? That has nothing to do with Fizzler or modules. I'm, I'm or sorry. Australia. Get back on so, topic. 
So uh, BISLR.com slash jobs, uh, if you're looking for jobs. And, I mean, nobody likes living where they are. I mean, I live somewhere that people seem to like, and I don't even like it. Like, think about moving to Australia, because it's way better. Well, that's because you're in Emeryville. Yeah, I was going to say, Emeryville sucks. We have Pixar, <laughs> so fuck off. <laughs> what else do you need? Yeah, the South Bay has a lot of really cool companies there, too. And I lived there for a while. No, this is this is something that I'll say that actually is cool about Emeryville is that um, nobody ever lived here or ha- was ever intended to live here for a very long time. So it's the only city uh, or township or anything uh, in California that doesn't have a church, and everybody who lives here, like nobody's over forty, because it's all converted lofts and new buildings and people that have moved here within the last ten years. So that's oh yeah yeah because it wasn't a place where people lived until very yeah. recently. Yeah, I, that's that's why we put all our strip malls there. <laughs> yeah, well, also, also there was like, you know, uh, Berkeley and Oakland said, you know, you can't put these kind of malls here. And everybody was like, oh, hey, they haven't passed a law yet. And so they put them over in, in a we- really weird section of Emeryville that nobody even lives in. So, yeah, anyway. Which used to just be, that section of Emeryville used to be called Emeryville. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, like down the street from me is Rudy's Can't Fail, which is a cafe owned by uh, the bassist from Green Day. Really? So, really? Eat by, that. by the guy from Green Day? Yeah, yeah, he did that one bass line that was in all those songs in the nineties. Da 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 da. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it, but a little bit lower. <laughs> all, all the songs were that or that Teen Spirit bass line that down 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 down. <laughs> anyway, I think we're we're all good there. Uh, okay, it's my turn. I get to talk about things. Tell me so, about the modules. I, I've been ranting about this a lot, so I'll keep it short. But um, I'm, I'm going to talk about two modules together because I only use them together and their value is really being together. Uh, and that's Fleet and Seaport. So Fleet is something that you install on all your machines and then you deploy code and it just puts the code everywhere. And then you say, everybody run this process and they all run those processes. And then you say something like, hey, show me the standard out output of all my processes everywhere. And you can just get that. So that's really awesome, really nice, super simple. What is, uh, so that, that's, that's mostly what Fleet does. What does is, what is Seaport actually add to it? Okay, so, so Seaport is a service registry. So basically all of my processes that I run with Fleet, what they do is they ask Seaport what port they should open up um, their server on. So say I say tell every box to run five web servers. They all ask Seaport which port they should, should open up on. So the first call that that script does, it's called Seaport, says this is what role I am and what my Git hash is, and it gets back a port. And then when it's up, it maintains a connection to Seaport that entire time. So my load balancer, after all the processes are up, I tell my load balancer, hey, here's the new Git hash. Ask Seaport what all of the services are up uh, in the cluster that are, that, uh, that are for that role with that port. And then uh, whenever any of them go down, Seaport actually messages all the load balancers and says, hey, update your config because the process went down. And if a new one comes up, it does the same. And so all of the load balancers keep in memory the, the routing table and then just update them whenever anything happens. So yeah, Seaport's awesome. Super, super awesome. And Fleet is super, super awesome. Um, all right. The next thing that I'm going to talk about, and, and the next two modules are modules that uh, I... I can say that I take for granted. I just I don't have to go through the code ever, try to figure anything out. I don't have to fix bugs. I don't have to send pull requests. I just get to be one of those guys that like uses code. So uh, the first one is underscore, 
And I know that like Substack and Isaac, you guys love to just like cut and paste your little functions around. And I did that for a long time. And then Max uh, forced me to stop because I kept putting stuff in that was already an underscore. And the more that I use stuff and find shit in here, the more that I love it. Like the other day, I really needed like a good deep equals on objects. And that's just in there and it just works. And I needed like, you know, I was really sick of doing, you know, if type of equals object, but it's not null because null's object because, you know, JavaScript hates people. Um, and they, they just, you know, there's underscore is object and it's just there. So there's all kinds of little useful stuff in there that's not the array map and reduce stuff that you're used to. And I, I use the ES5 map and reduce stuff. I don't use the, the ones from uh, underscore unless I'm working on objects. So do you also use uh, the noop module? Noop? Isn't noop just a, it just returns functions? <laughs> Blows my mind that you're, you're using underscore. That's, uh, that's fantastic. No, I mean, there's really useful shit in there. And, and every time that I look at it, like, they, they do all these great things where they add these little optional arguments that are like, okay, here's, you know, everybody who's doing this pretty much is just returning, you know, a single key from an object. And so they'll just add a little option where you can just give it the string key and that just works. And it's really nice. I mean, that, that stuff, like, really reduces the, the amount of, like, thinking about data structures I'm doing in my code rather than thinking about my application code. So Yeah, like, arguably the best part of Ruby is the enumerable class. And uh, Jeremy Ashkenaz came from Rubylands. And oh, yeah, you can tell... Underscore extremely Ruby-ish. Yeah, you can tell it's basically just like, hey, I miss Ruby's enumerable. I'm going to write it in JavaScript. And so you get the best part of Ruby without having to use Ruby. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the... It, the way that the API works, though, it's very functional, and it fits really nicely into Node and in the kind of JavaScript that I write. So it's not one of those modules that comes from Ruby that feels really foreign. Oh, um, right. I mean, it's the same. Feels, right? That's why enumerable is awesome in Ruby is because it feels exactly the same. It's interesting. Yeah. There's also some Haskell shit in there, too, though, I, I will say. There's some, there's some little Haskellisms in there. I'm sure that certain people will geek out about that aren't me. So uh, if you're going to use a Jeremy Ashkenaz module... Make sure it's underscore and not CoffeeScript. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you have to use uh, CoffeeScript to use underscore? No. <laughs> Quit spreading lies. Dishaw just loves trolling. I mean, he puts Mocha in his thing just to mess with me, and then he's like, you know, trying to fuck around with this. All right. Well, um, okay. So the next one up is uh, Node Redis. And uh, this is Matt Rennie's Redis library. And it just works. Great. There's even this really nice thing in there where if uh, you need to select a database, you can do the select call and it's actually ensured to be queued before any other calls so you don't have to wait on the callback. You, you know that all of the things that you do are going to end up hitting it. It's really nice. Redis anyway. is so nice. Node Redis is so nice. I, 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 yeah. I just started using this thing and oh my goodness. It's just like, it's just perfect. Just I, wish every, just I wish every database binding module helper library util thing was exactly like this. Yeah, it's super nice. And I mean, like, there's also a bunch of stuff that he did in there to make it crazy fast, right? Like, he's got a ton of, like, optimizations to uh, pipelining and all that kind of stuff. Um, I do wish that there was um, a simpler mode where it would um, close. Um, whenever it didn't have anything pending, it would actually close out its connections and then reopen them as soon as you call something. Uh, only because when I write really little scripts, I always forget to close the client. 
I mean, I, in my bigger applications where that stuff really matters, like I, I always have like a big teardown section where I close all my, my Redis objects. But um, it's kind of annoying when I write a little script that just needs to pull some data out of Redis to remember to close it. That's one of the things that request does that, um, like on pushing data that's really useful. So um, anyway, those are mine though. Those are all mine. Also, uh, by the way, Redis is the only database library that is w within the top uh, 20 dependent on modules. So hmm. that's, that's, I think that's both a testament to uh, how good this library is and how it's really dominated over all the other Redis libraries. And also just a testament to how much Redis is used in Node. A uh, lot of people. It's a good fit. Yeah, yeah really good fit. I, I actually, um, I know we're not supposed to be plugging our own things, but uh, there's, there's a handful of session modules, and Redis is exactly like, it seems like it was basically designed to do uh, web sessions. Since it's so fast and, and all in memory and stuff, um, I wrote a little thing called Red Sesh, which just uh, you give it a request and response object, and then it attaches a Redis client onto the request. So you can do like request.session.put and request.session.get. I think it's set and get, or maybe put and get, I forget. But uh, that actually supports even like deeply nested objects. Like, so if you have a hash that has object keys, it'll you know, go through and create like the colon separated thingies like Redis likes. Hey Isaac, what's your, uh, your policy on using tween vernacular in node modules? Tween vernacular? I'm not sure what it, what is it, what is it? Like you mean the like, word sesh? Oh no, that's just because it's short for session. It's S-E-S-S. No, that's, that's tween vernacular. Is it? Maybe I'm a tween. I don't know. What generation is this? I thought I was, I thought it was Y or maybe something. Like vom.com, that name is gross. Vom.com? No yeah, because it brings to mind, um, you know, vomiting. Type, 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 What? Type, type of what? Hey, guys. Vom.com? That's Sonoma Valley's premier intranet provider. <laughs> <laughs> I need an intranet. You need an intranet? Yeah. Okay, then you're going to want to go to vom.local. Oh, yeah. They, they offer web mail. They have links to such search engines as AltaVista, Excite, Ask, Dogpile, Hotbot, Lycos. Somebody tell me about Clock. They, I don't think that they're associated with Vom.com. Okay. That's true. But, uh, but they are, but they are internet. <laughs> they are an internet company. <laughs> they are internet. Clock is internet. Best clock is internet <laughs> company. Of, that's, the, their tagline is Clock is internet. Is it really? No, <laughs> I thought it was. I thought it was. Uh, if any, uh, if mice, any mice run up me, I'm going to strike them. <laughs> or a little flavor, flavor. What time is it? What time is it? It's clock time. They create websites that focus on user experience and good software engineering. They've been doing this for a while. They've been building websites almost as long as websites have been being built. So they've they've been around the block. They know what they're doing. They know when to do a uh, big old push state single sign on single page app and when to do just like some good old fashioned HTML. They use the and, tools for the job. And they sponsor this podcast. They do. They do. So unlike vom.com, we're not just talking about them because they have an awesome name. We're also talking about them because they are actually awesome. Uh, you can follow them at, at clock on Twitter. They're in Great Britain where you can fly around on your umbrellas and wear bowling hats. The History Channel is one of their clients. 
They do other websites for famous things like BBC and Eddie Izzard, but they also do little little websites for little guys. Uh, you know, if you just need a couple of pages put together, they're Tiny Tim. They're very good. Tiny Tim, I think, actually has his uh, his personal begging site up there um, on Clock.com. I could be wrong about that. Somebody should fact check that. I think it's his it's his legal awareness blog uh, for the prosecution of Scrooge. Actually, really? Yeah, there's a I whole big watch, lawsuit. I watch, I watch I know, a lot of British real television, person. and British television does this this crazy thing. Like, uh, unlike this podcast, where we just keep making it forever and nobody cares anymore. Um, they'll like do like six episodes and they're done. They just sort of they're done. That thing is over now. It's kind of great. <laughs> I think that we should do a, a version of the Node podcast like that. Where we just we just do six of them and then we we take off for a while, move on to the next yeah, thing. It was called the Noted. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> that was that was two Michaels whose names nobody can uh, spell. Right, right. I think I was on that one. <laughs> yeah, that was a very similar thing, you know. Just do a few episodes and then be done. Except, unlike that, I, I think Clock is more of the go on and on and on forever type of company because they're they're still around till the end of time. Oh my goodness! Yes, till the end of time, and since roughly the beginning of of time, and or fifteen years ago, which cool. I mean, in that time, the whole time. Anyway, big fans of the show, big fans of Node. They uh, they are very, very helpful, and we appreciate their support. So if you want to stay in the Queen's land, you could go to Australia, or you could go to uh, just outside of London and work for Clock. Yes. You know what's interesting? Speaking of um, Her Majesty's Dominion, so you know uh, the company I work for, Joint, is, is they have a, an office in, uh, in Vancouver, right? And apparently I learned recently that if you go to, it is illegal for Americans to work in Canada without a license or without, you know, like approval from the, from the, the powers that be. I, I don't know if you need a letter from the queen or if it just helps. So if I go up to visit that office, if I say I'm going to go there and write code, then that actually is illegal and is grounds for them to not let me into the country. But <laughs> if I say I'm going up there for a meeting, meetings don't count as work. Oh, good to know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, 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 the same uh, ass hattery uh, works in reverse with uh, Canadians coming to uh, the United States. It's, it's kind of insane. Oh, really? A meetings count as work, but coding doesn't? Um, no, going, like, if, if you're employed and you go across the boundary, there are obligations like that. I didn't, I didn't know about this meeting thing. It's due to me. So. You know what? Fuck immigration laws. I'm just, I'm just like, yeah. I'm fuck totally with you. Laws. Fuck immigration. Right. Like they're all fuck terrible. citizenship. Actually, fuck like that. if you're here, you should just be a person who's here, and that's what should matter. I mean, all this stuff is outdated. Like you can do work anywhere from anywhere. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. I think that we should, what we should really do is start a website for people to uh, offer their services to be married to, um, purely for legal reasons to import to to go to uh, immigrate people. I'm pretty sure that would be illegal, and we might get arrested. But, well, look, uh, I'm not yeah, yeah. No, we, would, we, we wouldn't get arrested. It's just the people would get deported. Yeah. Okay. Right. Of unmarried people, we we have a we have a need of people who want to come into the country. We we can solve this with a web app. We can make it totally anonymous. You know, you know, Daniel. Well, people fall in love for all this kinds is of really trying to market. This is so it's so huge. We can definitely get money. Oh yeah. People people fall in love and get married for all kinds of reasons. Some of them social, some of them political, some of them financial. You know, you affairs of the heart are inscrutable. 
And I think if we were to come up with a website to help people do this, that might be a great idea. We can call it Scroot because it's scrutable. <laughs> yeah, Scroot. That, more, more tween words. <laughs> Scroot.org. Anyway, so uh, I'm going to take my turn now. So the, the first thing I want to talk about is, is this thing called Node-Gyp. Node-Gypsu? Uh, Node-Gyp, G-Y-P. A lot of people are using this and probably don't realize that they're using it because um, we were sneaky and we got it into NPM. And basically what this does is if you have a, a GYP file in your compiled node add-on, um, you, tell, you tell it in your JIP file, which is kind of like JSON. I think JSON will work, but it's actually technically Python, uh, Python object literal. So you, you put in your JIP file um, which, uh, which sources you care about and what your output .node file should be, and node.jip will like compile it using the proper version of node headers, and it'll automatically download everything it needs to. It's, it's actually a really, really good piece of work. Um, very impressed with, uh, with Nathan's work on that, and he's, he's been pretty... Um, pretty good about going through and finding all the people who have a, a, a compiled add-on converting them over from, uh, from WAF over to JIP. And it's, it's really, really a huge improvement. Biggest, awesomest thing about it, it actually works at all on Windows, which can't be said for WAF. Hmm. Um, it is unfortunately still Python, and there's uh, probably nothing we can really do about that. I mean, that's just kind of an accident of history that Python is the, the interpreted language that's available everywhere. Um, but maybe someday Node will occupy that role. In the meantime, uh, Node-JIP is really, really nice. You, you may be using this, if you've ever installed a binary module, if you've installed a binary module lately, uh, you probably used Node-JIP and didn't realize it because it's just sort of bundled in with NPM right now. Um, another thing that I want to talk about is this module called Marked. Um, I, I am a big, 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 super huge fan of Markdown. Um, I, I think that it's just, I mean, it's, it's so much more humane for writing content than, than writing HTML. I still like HTML for doing like structural type things, you know, like my table tags. Um, but uh, for like bold and underline and headings and all that kind of bullshit, marked, Markdown is so much nicer. And um, the marked module is just a really, you know, dead simple, super fast, straightforward markdown parser. Um, it's, it's Lexer is also really nice, and that's actually how we're generating the, the documentation in Node right now. We have the, uh, the JSON representation of our documentation, and all of that is done by just kind of lexing the markdown and then walking through it and, like, you know, figuring out what it is, you know, looking at the headings and stuff. It's all really straightforward. You just get a nice array of, of stuff. Um, people are talking to me in the chat room. It's like really super distracting. Somebody's saying that I love CoffeeScript. Oh, mm -hmm. JIP is used by V8. Don't, don't read the channel while you're talking. Just, just put that in the background yeah, window. People stop mentioning my name. It's like super, super confusing. I should just like, I should turn off, uh, turn off my IRC client. Anyway, um, though, of course, now everybody's like mentioning my name like crazy. All I hear is beeps. <laughs> so, yeah, Mark uh, from CHJJ. Really, really nice. It's pronounced chj. Chj. Yeah, from chj. The, uh, the other 
modules, which are which are really, I think, ought to be lumped into talking about as if it was one module, because you would talk about, you know, you would talk about Express as if it was one thing, and you would talk about uh, Taco as if it was one thing. But these are like not frameworks, but things that you do with HTTP request and response. And I, I think it's a it's a new pattern that I'm. It's not really all that new, but it's a pattern that's really useful and very extensible. It works with Mark with uh, Express, Taco, Restify, you name it. Um, and so basically the two things that are kind of in this category that I've found recently are uh, Jed Schmidt's cookies library, which um, you know you, you give it a request and a response, and it gives you a little cookie thing. And you can get cookies, you can set cookies, and they'll just work. Um, Another one is Aaron Blahowiak's routes.js, which uh, it just does routing. It doesn't do anything else. Um, so you add some routes, and each of those routes returns you a function. And then later on, you say router.match, and you give it a string, and it returns you the function and the, the things that it matched. So it's, it's basically like, you know, maybe the 80% the solution of why you're using something like express or connect but you can kind of get it in these like smaller mix and matchable ways and if you really want to um, it'd be silly to use routes with with express because express has its own router but um, some of these other things like the cookies implementation I mean it's just very simple it's super easy you just attach it to each you know in your listen callback handler thingy and off you go you got cookies so, now so um Blahoyak's routes library was like, I mean, last time I checked, it, it hadn't been updated in a really long time and it was still importing like a module that gave a depth warning. Um, and so I was getting yeah, a I little sick of that. And I, yeah, I've, I've mentioned several times that, um, that I, I would move to director um, if somebody wrote a patch. And so somebody actually did go and start to write a patch and, and they, I had a long email conversation with them. They're in college and they're in like their data structures class. Um, and it turned out the director was actually not a very good match with what we were doing before. A lot of the, the rules... Is that a routing that, pun that you just made? Not a very good match? No, well, yeah, yeah it is now. Accidental pun! Oh, <laughs> Max has this hidden talent of turning anything into a pun. So, um, anyway... It's like, you, it's, like that, it's like that's what she said, but just as offensive, but not sexist. Right. So, so one of the things, one of the things is that like uh, it, it's it implements basically like a little uh, index tree, uh, and it matches within that index tree. And so there there are certain kinds of route patterns, um, and especially certain kinds of routes that you care more about the ordering in which you define them, uh, where that stuff gets kind of lost when they turn it into this structure. So uh, this kid in college wrote this new little routing library called uh, Maple Tree, and Maple Tree is a I just took a patch actually in, in Taco, and it really only it was like two or three lines to swap out routes for this new library. Um, and it uses it uses an internal tree, but it, it actually keeps all of the same behavior that we that we had in the routes library. So um, I was so what's the that look at that? What do you what do you get from uh, from Maple Tree that you don't get from routes? Uh, it's a bit faster, like internally. Um, because it, because it, like, rather than applying, so, so like, the way that uh, most running libraries work is that they take every pattern and they apply to all of them, and then they take whichever one is like you know most relevant at which at whatever order that it came in. Um, and with this, it actually like takes your pattern and turns and like sticks it into an index tree, and then so it just walks that index tree every time that it matches, and then it take and then it takes all of the matches, like rounds them all up, and then does whichever one is like the most relevant one that you defined first, I believe. 
Computer science. Hmm. Yeah. I'll have to check it out. What, uh, what's what's yeah, the I, module name? Maple Tree. Not Maple. No, it's Maple Tree. It's, uh, I believe, capital T. And uh, I know that it's in NPM because it's now a dep of Taco. So. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll just look at Taco. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's uh, camel cased. And the GitHub link is broken. So, right. Sambarati, please update your package.json file and republish. Well, he listens to this podcast because that's how he found out that I would take a patch for director. So. <laughs> I know, that's, that's why I'm speaking directly to him. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, uh, anyway, do uh, you have more modules to talk about? Uh, so, another, just another one uh, in this same kind of category is this uh, Federomero. Freddy Romero, Federo Romero. I don't really know exactly which parts of his name are which, um, but it's called Negotiator, and it's basically like doing content, does content negotiation for stuff like accept encoding and uh, various other things. So you can check, like, you know, you can say I have, I have HTML and I have JSON. Which would you like? And then you can look at the, re- it'll look at the request and tell you which one is preferred based on the very convoluted logic around the accept header and the accept encoding header and so forth. Um, very handy. I'm using that in the new NPM website and it's, it's kind of nice. The other thing that's kind of a cool story about this, so I, I wasn't going to put it on the list because we're supposed to do things that were, are not our own and I sort of rewrote this thing. Um, so he had originally written it in CoffeeScript and it was published in CoffeeScript. It wasn't published, compiled, and I was like, okay, this is I wanted to not have that in my program. So I compiled it all and fixed up a few things where, um, you know, where there was some sort of ugly cruft from the CoffeeScript compilation and kind of mentioned to him like, hey, this is, here's a JavaScript version. Um, I'm using it. I am happy to maintain it in parallel. If you don't want to take it, I totally understand. But, you know, if you do, that'd be kind of cool. And his response was like, "Oh, great, thanks. Yeah, we'll just we'll just merge them. So now it's in JavaScript. Awesome. More of that. Yeah. Wow, that's the first time I've ever heard of that working. Yeah, I did that's not expect it to. I just kind of wanted to let him know, like, hey, you know, if you fix a bug, could you? Basically, along the lines of like, I'm doing this thing. If you fix a bug, could you maybe let me know so that you know I can fix it too? And uh, I also took out the underscore dependency, which it was using underscore, but strictly for some stuff that you could do with array map and reduce really easily. Um, yeah, so that's that was kind of a, an interesting, interesting story. Cool story. And it's also it's also a really nice module. I mean, I, I didn't write the module itself. I, I just kind of changed the language it was written in. That's great. Anyway, and then obviously also Redis and request and everything that you guys already talked about. Do we have well, a Substack? Substack asked me to speak on. His behalf. Um, there's Channel this module. Called, this uh, module. I could try to talk like Substack. There is this <laughs> module named JSON Stream. And, more hand waving. Uh, this hand-waving. is more. Yeah, I'm waving my hands in front of the microphone. Um, Dominic Tar, uh, who is an awesome guy in and of himself, wrote an awesome module on top of Creationix's JSON Stream that I mentioned. Sorry, JSON Parse that I mentioned earlier. Um, JSON parse by Creationix is like straight up streaming JSON parser with kind of a hard to use API. So JSON stream is on top of that and all it does is give you kind of like a selector syntax um, for JSON 
um, streaming parsing. So you could say something like, okay, as this JSON comes in, only get keys named foo and then emit the objects that are their values or whatever. Or go into this, uh, go into the first array you find and then emit every element of that array as you're parsing the JSON. So it, it helps a lot um, with, you have arbitrary shaped JSON coming in from a request and you just want to have uh, certain parts of it emit out and it's fully streaming. Um, it's not as efficient as other streaming parsers like Clarinet, for instance, but Clarinet, uh, for instance, doesn't have a selector syntax. So JSON parse is actually usable, which is also really um, a required thing for me to use a streaming JSON parser or a streaming anything is that it has a really nice high-level API. Um, so basically, you should check out JSON parse and JSON stream, um, and they both work in the browser too. This is kind of great because it's something that I've talked about forever and really didn't want to write and wanted somebody else to write it. And Dominic Tarr is great at that. Like, if I talk about an idea enough, he eventually writes it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. any more subsec? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. If anybody wants to talk about event stream by Dominic Tarr, I'm not as familiar with why that module is amazing yet. I can look it up. Isaac, why don't you tell us about TAP? TAP is a, a test thing. Um, I, you know... Boo, test frameworks. So, you know, I agree. <laughs> I completely agree. In fact, I was uh, uh, one of the noisiest and most vociferous anti-test framework folks out there, uh, second only to probably Michael. Um, and then I kind of found myself in these, rewriting again and again and again, this, um, the same type of, type of pattern over and over again, where I run, you know, a hundred fucking things, and then I want to see not just, not just did they fail, what was the first failure, which you get from the assert you know, from an assert and throw type of thing, but also like how many of them failed and which ones failed and give me some debugging stuff if it fails. And so I ended up rewriting this type of stuff over and over again. I wrote this for, uh, for the Saks JS library. I wrote it for, uh, well for NPM and it still has its own thing sort of for that and, and a bunch of other stuff that I was doing. And eventually I was like, okay, this is, this is kind of silly. Um, what I really want to do is say run tests in a bunch of different files, only show me the ones that fail, and show me debugging information only about the ones that fail, only about the specific tests that fail. And also you have something like uh, like Semver or an XML parser, right? Where you have maybe a hundred or a couple hundred tests, and you make some change, and it breaks five of them. And they're like number 22, number 83, and numbers 95 and up. Like... That's really important to know, and and so if you fix twenty two, and now that breaks two others, and like you kind of, you kind of get a lot of benefit by seeing exactly which tests pass and which tests fail um, in a very easy way. And so, the other thing about NodeTap is that it's designed to have a parsable output format so that it can eventually be used in in CI tools. And I know uh, a handful of people are actually using that now. I think the reason why Substack is a fan of NodeTap is because Browserling uses it, and um, uh, hooks into its output in, in some interesting way that I wish he was online to talk about. Anyway, that's my spiel about NodeTap. It's, it's, I mean, it's crap. It's a test framework. So, of course, it's ugly, terrible code and, and whatever. And I, I try very hard to never, ever touch it. Um, if you send me a pull request for it, I'll, I'll probably just like accept it 
and not look too carefully or, or ignore it for months on end because it's like, whatever, it gets the job done, you know? Um, we're, we're using it all over the place at Joint, and once that, uh, once people at Joint started using it a lot, it started, uh, you know, getting a lot of really good and interesting feedback on it. I think there's actually some ways that you can enable code coverage, uh, but that's all kind of early and proto prototyped and, and not fully functioning quite yet. Um, yeah. All right. Um, I tried to look at event stream. It's, uh, yeah, I'm not going to do it justice trying to explain it. So I'm just going to give up, but, uh, well, Substack posted a code snippet for event stream that kind of shows off I one looked, part. I looked, awesome. I looked through all the docs. It's very functional programming. I, I don't feel like I can, uh, give it a good like description. On it's the kind podcast. of like a, it's like the underscore JS for streams maybe. Yeah, kind of, but like way different. I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, so but we do have uh, a lot of people submitted uh, what they like, and um, I think number one that we got in submissions was actually async. So a lot of people use async. Not surprising. It's it's really high on the list of dependent on packages. Yeah, uh, async is a, a, async is sort of the go to uh, the go to flow control library. If if callbacks are giving you trouble, use async. I remember Marco was telling me about something that he was building in, on top of or into async. I can't remember which. Um, but it was a way to, like, basically, uh, if you're using async everywhere, you get, like, a chaos monkey for free. It'll just start, like, erroring out your callbacks just at random, and you can test that all of your error codes work properly. Um, it's a really cool idea. I don't know if he ever wrote it. Maybe he can hmm. tell us. Um, so next down the list is uh, Dnode. People really love Dnode. Uh, Dnode is like one of the technologies that backs Fleet and Seaport. So um, another Substack creation. Yes, yes. Most Substack creations are actually built on top of Dnode now, or on top of Upnode, which is on top of Dnode. So uh, we got some stuff for requests and Express and Socket.io and JS DOM. Um, and I won't I won't mention compile to target languages. Uh, at a, for more reasons. Yeah, I'm just not going to talk about them because uh, I don't believe in the right to exist. But um, we can move on to... Why can't you treat everything with equality? They have a right to marry <laughs> each other. <too. laughs> Michael Rogers, the North Carolina of Node.js. <laughs> Look, the, the CoffeeScript guys are more than welcome to marry the uh, you know iced CoffeeScript guys, or you know the the guys and ladies who use some kind of Haskell compile to target language. Um, fine, just don't intermarry. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> so the the problem the the thing I think about for this show is like CoffeeScript is not a module. CoffeeScript is a platform. It's a it's a it's not something you're you're not going to do require coffee and then do you know, require CoffeeScript and then do some interesting thing using a utility that CoffeeScript provides. Like, that's just kind of not how it's typically used. It's a thing that turns your program, which is written in a non-JavaScript language, into a JavaScript program. And, right. like, now, if you're, it's, I could be wrong, right? There's, there's exceptions to this. Like, if you're writing, if what you're writing is an IDE and you want to make it easy for people to write CoffeeScript and so you want to be able to lex it and parse it and do all these things programmatically, like, okay, then CoffeeScript now is an actual useful module. But like most of the people using CoffeeScript are not doing it that way. You know, they're they're doing they're just writing node programs, but they're just writing them in CoffeeScript. Yeah, I mean, I think the people that are into CoffeeScript or Ice CoffeeScript or what whatever the hell people are doing, um, or Fibers or whatever, like these are all sort of 
you know, they're platform forks. They're, they have varying degrees of compatibility with all the other things that we talk about. And so what we tend to talk about on this podcast is the 99% of things that everybody can use. Um, and, and usually when people who are into CopyScript or into fibers, they do have this one directional relationship where they can use the value that we're talking about. But like most of the people listening to this can't do anything useful with CopyScript without opting into a whole different thing or fibers or, you know, what is that streamline JS or whatever the hell. Like, I mean, so we, we really don't like, there's not a lot of value in talking about these because yeah, they're incompatible forks. That's why we should, that's, that should, this is a whole other show. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, I think that it has been mentioned that, that we tend to be a little biased toward things. Um, and well, I mean, I, mean, I, I, so, I tend to be biased so, towards so, node programs. That's, that. yes, yes. <laughs> well, yes, I mean, like, like from this podcast, you definitely know our stance on web, on test frameworks. And, <laughs> you know, we're certainly not like going to talk about every test framework that comes up because we just personally don't like them. But, but also, I mean, I think in terms of our audience, our audience in general does not get a lot out of us talking about like platform forks. Right, exactly. Um, I'm seeing a module in here in the, the ones that people mentioned that's kind of cool that needs a shout out, which is Trumpet, which is a streaming HTML parser built on oh, top yeah. of, I think, Isaac Sachs' XML parser. Oh, so yeah. I'm actually using, I'm using that in production. Oh, nice. I mean, not like, it's not calling that on each request, but um, so you know how on the Node website there's like this uh, Node in the industry thing? Mm-hmm. For a long time, um, that was just the same four companies. And just fairly recently, like in the last couple of releases, um, changed that around so that what it, we actually have like a folder with some randomly, with some other companies in there. So like Voxer's up there and, and Uber and some others. And then um, every minute it will randomly uh, pick four at random and then kind of stream the index.html through Trumpet and replace out that, that one div with four randomly chosen lucky companies. Nice. Oh, it's, that made me think of something. Um, there's, there's this module that's like node image magic and it's bindings to image magic. And then there's this other module called GM which is uh, less known, actually, but um, way better than ImageMagic. No offense to the ImageMagic author, but I think GM well, just came later. GM and is just... Isn't, isn't, isn't GM a different, like a different binary? Well, it's graphics magic, library? but they're, you know, depend, it's in the same domain. Um, yeah, yeah. But I, no, no, so, no, no. I mean, but like, like libgm is different from libimagemagic. Yes, but they do a lot of the same stuff. So. Right, right, and GM is like the good one that you're that you're supposed to use because it's way more modern and better. Um, yeah, and it also goes for the Node API as well. That rule mm. for some reason. Um, so I was like uh, naively needing to resize an image at one point, and I was like, oh, I'll use Image Magic because I know the word Image Magic, and I looked it up on npm, and Image Magic came up. So I used that, and then I was like, okay, how do you stream? It was totally blocking, and you could only give it file system paths, I think. You couldn't give it stream objects, and you couldn't get a stream object back. Um, so that made me realize, um, this was early on in my Node days, uh, that I went through this experience. For those of you trying to judge the value of a, a module, um, like once you find its GitHub page, go into the code and see if it is... Um, a weird API that you've never seen before. If they invented their own API, that's a, usually a bad thing. If it uses the stream API and you can pass it streams and get back streams, it means it's like node friendly. 
Um, so the GM module, if you need to do image manipulation stuff, is node friendly because it uses streams. Mm. Yeah, I, I think uh, um, the crypto module, like the built-in crypto module in Node, is a good example of something that kind of came came about uh, in the days before streams. And it's not it's not that its API is bad. It's a, it's a fine API for doing stuff asynchronously. It's just it would be a lot nicer if it supported a more stream-like API. Could probably yeah, uh, write those streams on top of it, any, it relatively easily. I don't know, but yeah, there's there's still a bunch of stuff like that. Floating so um, maybe we could talk about a little bit. Uh, it, I think if you were to do a statistical analysis of NPM right now, you'd find maybe the pop top categories would be like templating libraries, flow control libraries, um, testing frameworks, uh, and of those three categories. Should you use them, A, and is there a best module that we can agree on is kind of like the one that's worth learning the DSL or whatever for in those three categories? By top, do you mean top in usage or top in... Um, or, uh, I mean, or, or yeah, top, like... Top in, top in terms of, like, lots of people have made libraries in this category or top in terms of, like, lots of people... Like, use what's, the one, what's the one that's worth the investment in learning at this point if you're coming into the game? And I know you'll probably say, Michael, that you shouldn't learn a testing framework, for instance. And that's a valid well, answer. Well, I think that, like, honestly, for testing frameworks, it's a lot more distributed. Like, there's, there's not a clear winner in terms of, like, if you look at the dependent on or dev dependencies chain. Like, there's not one that's... There's not, like, an, an, an async, right? Like, this right, is right. clearly, like, far and above better than everything else and, and way more used than everything else. Um, I, think, I think for templates... It's kind of hard to say. I mean, Jade is really heavily used and dependent on, but a lot of people like take handlebars um, or mustache and just take the, the JS file and put it directly in their library without using it as a dependency. Hmm. Um, I see that all the time because for a while there wasn't a really reliable NPM package. So right. I don't know. Um, yeah, so yeah. for flow control, it seems like async is the thing to check out. Yeah. Yeah. For sure, for certain. And I mean, Jade is pretty, pretty popular. That's um, the indent-based one, right? What? Jade? Jade? I, 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 don't, I don't use it. I don't it's really Hamel, use it. Hamel 2.0, basically. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I want as little as possible out of a templating library. But sometimes... I'm I'm a, I, kind of, I kind of like uh, EJS... Mostly because I like writing HTML for my structure. Yeah. I mean, uh, then I know what the HTML is going to look like. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I really like a template being a, a straight-up substitution. I think Mustache like, doesn't have enough things sometimes, and it's really annoying. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, Handlebars sort of fixes that. Like, yeah. All I really want in a Handlebars is fucking dot notation. Please just make that easier. Right. And I, I think, actually, um, Mustache is actually taking that back in from handlebars. Yeah. The thing the thing I, I don't the thing that weirds me out about handlebars and and mustache and and actually jade as well is like that I really keep coming back to as being a really nice thing about EJS is that like it's not obvious from looking at it so a like it's not obvious from looking at jade what the html is going to look like if unless you kind of take the time to learn this jade thing and it might be worthwhile and maybe I'm just being lazy. With handlebars the the iteration and and conditional stuff um, I've always felt like that's kind of weird. Like it, 
it's it's its own language. You know, EJS it's like it's JavaScript and it's HTML and I know what the JavaScript I know what JavaScript the JavaScript is going to be and I know what HTML the HTML is going to be and so the logic and the Well, I mean earlier you praised Markdown for being a human language. Yeah, but nobody's going to write their whole website in Markdown. Like even even multi-Markdown. I mean you there's nothing to there's no way to do an HTML tag in Markdown. Yeah, but there's more tags in Markdown that are custom than there are in Mustache for instance. Yeah, but with Markdown you just write it like it's an email and then it it works. You're and we all already like we all already know trick. Markdown because uh, because of readmes. <laughs> GitHub has forced that one on us. If GitHub started supporting Jade in Mark in uh, in readme files that'd be that'd be fine. But yeah, I mean, I, I mean like like it's, it's kind of it's kind of hilarious because like we we look at the npm dependent on list a lot and we look to like the actual registry for a lot of hints as to what's been adopted really widely. But there are certain things that just like fall way out of this that we're that we're not accounting for. You know, like the, the like Markdown is never going to show up on most dependent on list, but it's used by virtually every library in the readme. You know. And, right. and and like and you know npm itself never shows up in this list even though you know every package <laughs> in the registry is npm. Yeah, they all got there somehow. I mean, we we like to talk about how wide underscore is in usage because it's got about 835 packages that depend on it out of 9800 in the registry that all use npm, right? <laughs> and the and the overwhelming majority of which uh, use markdown as well. The the thing that's um, uh, the thing about templates too that that sort of I, I think is kind of intriguing is like Markdown almost doesn't make sense as a as a template language because you can't actually do your site structure in Markdown. You know what I mean? Like that's what Jade and Hamel and and EJS are kind of like designed to do, and and um, and Handlebars as well. I mean EJS and Handlebars do it by just using HTML, right? Um, whereas Markdown is more for the actual content. Yeah, I agree. Word. Oh, okay. So, hey, Isaac. Um, yep. NPM stars. Um, is there a way for me to get my list of starred things? Yeah, I just added this um, oh, to awesome. the to the registry. So, if you go to, uh, oh, it's it's not in the it's not in the NPM client yet. Um, I'm I'm working on the the website, and and so this Wait. is going to be factor into it. But you go to registry.npmjs.org slash hyphen slash starred by user slash username. I'll put this in the uh, I think it's in the in the show notes already. Substack has a link by his name to his. Word. Yeah. So if we go here, Dshaw, then we can see starred by user Dshaw. And there it is. Mm. I'll paste it in the chat as well. Awesome. Um, I'm putting this out there to the world. Uh, any, if you write a module that Substack stars, um, I will buy you something of twenty dollars value if I ever meet you in person. Does this count for? Is this like retroactive? Because no. I think you owe me like sixty bucks. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. This is my own. This is my own little Kiva for Node right now. No, that's that's a that's a really good idea. Now I can sleep at night. So it's only people you have not already met. Or is it's it only not retroactive. It's not retroactive because I don't know, you know. Right, right. But See, you added. You said if if I ever meet you in person. So since I've oh, met you right. in person already, am I not eligible? Well, if you write another module that Substack stars, because I know Substack is incorruptible. Look, oh, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure that nobody's going to care about starred by user until it's more than just a JSON API that people read. So why don't we wait until the new registry site is up, and then I bet starring will become a bigger thing, and people will care. 
Yeah, it'll yeah, also get a lot easier. So it's your, also, follow these on GitHub. It's probably going to give you more information and be more useful than storing them in a PDF. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, uh, I, I've been, I found myself, I found it to be a little bit hard to actually get like reasonable information about modules on GitHub um, by by following them and stuff because like I don't know like my I have a lot of GitHub projects and I follow people like like Substack and Michael and Max that write you know tremendous amounts of code and like the followers thing and, and plus the Node project itself has like a bazillion freaking issues and pull requests and and comments everywhere so like yeah that. That page is basically about as useful as uh, you remember when Twitter used to like on the front page of Twitter was the the public timeline, and it's like this is this is a hundred things that were said in the last three milliseconds. You refresh it and you get a different hundred things. It's like it's not actually a timeline in any meaningful sense if you are involved with some big projects. It's just like a whole bunch of stuff. So I, I think having uh, having updates from that project or just for the the NPM modules that you have starred will be kind of useful. I don't know. That's why I'm building it for myself. Yeah, I think that it, it helps a lot of people when they see a page just to remember it. It's almost like a kind of a bookmark. Mm -hmm. um, and at some point later, we can, we can weight things nicely with that. Uh, okay, I think that it's time to move on now. Um, hey, can we talk about TacoConf now? Uh, so let's talk about TacoConf and uh, upcoming conferences, and then we'll go to the chat room, and then we'll do straight-up plugs, I think. So, TacoConf this weekend. If you are in Oakland or San Francisco, you are coming to TacoConf. You are renting a bicycle, and you are showing up uh, in Oakland at 11 a.m. on Saturday, and in San Francisco, 11 a.m. on Sunday. Are the talks public? Yes, everything is public. The speakers. No, I mean, oh, the I speakers. Mean the, not the titles. The, no. oh, okay, the, speakers, the speaker list is public. They're all going to be amazing talks, though. I'm really excited about the content. All but one is going to be yeah, amazing. Yeah, Max, Max should tell us some more. My, my talk's going to be kind of lame. Um, the talks range at a high level from um, hacking culture in the form of throwing bicycle parties, um, occupying empty fields and turning them into community farms, uh, anarchism in society. There's going to be hacking your own body. There's going to be a, a modern history of Mexican food. Um, why... A certain dish switched from handmade uh, creme fraiche to mayonnaise because of North, North American Free Trade Agreement. Uh, there's also going to be how Lebanese immigrants impacted um, the way that barbecue is made in Mexico. There's uh, going to be amazing di data visualization um, about uh, identity and culture. It's basically it's going to a very broad-ranging kind of uh, identity, culture, food-related theme talks. Um, and also, they will be um, kind of sandwiched in with a morning and an evening full of tacos. Get it sandwiched in. Don't Whoa, you mean taco? Don't, don't you mean ta tacoed in? Tacoed in. Yes, they will be <laughs> filled in with delicious middle parts. Um, also, be, if you go to tacoconf.com, tacoconf.com uh, right now, it's it's probably my crowning achievement in life right now. The actual work that went into the site. Um, just in the first 900 pixels, you have uh, a force-directed salsa visualization that's interactive, and you have a GPU hardware-accelerated uh, penny-farthing animated GIF bicycler that was hand-illustrated by Substack, actually. And then you have an SVG taco that was also illustrated by Substack. Um, if you zoom in really far, 
uh, the taco preserves its quality since it's a vector taco. Uh, and then there's a parallax scroll effect with a 3D rotating logo from our sponsor Spire.io. Um, and then if, if you couldn't tell, um, the logo is by um, Substack. Yes. Um, so go and take a look at the website. It's a uh, HTML 11. I want yeah. a taco now really bad. I'm going to go get some tacos. Yeah, you gotta, it's, it's one of those things. We're going to have so many tacos this weekend, you kind of have to prepare for tacos now so you don't Dude, I, dude, I, you know. Can I, can I tell you, since, since, you, since I agreed to talk at TacoConf, uh, for the last like, two weeks, I've, I've averaged something like 1.2 or 3 tacos per day. Nice. I mean, that's, that's usually because I have like 3 or 4, but like, yeah, been, been having tacos for lunch almost every day. Have you, have you uh, been to Taco Bell and had a burritos taco? No, those don't count as tacos. Those Taco are, Bell uh, isn't a real taco place. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's garbage food. That's, that's yes. warm, warmed up garbage. <laughs> the, the, right. best, the best tacos are served off the, at the side of a truck. Yeah, yeah. This um, is what you will learn at TacoConf. Yes. Exactly. So yes, everybody who's in the Bay Area will need to come to TacoConf. Um, one other thing. Um, NodeConf uh, is now actually officially sold out. So uh, people are going. It is happening. Um, if we get cancellations, tickets might pop up, so you can watch the NodeConf uh, Twitter bot or not bot. It's me. Uh, you can watch the NodeConf Twitter account to see when those come up. Um, also, there's a certain allotment of them reserved for future sponsors, um, but at a certain point, we will cut off sponsorships and uh, we'll release those tickets as a late bird ticket. So there will be a couple in the future um, if you're still hoping to get one. Also, there's a, a couple other conferences that are coming up. It's probably too late to get a ticket to, but JSConf Argentina uh, is like in a week or two down in Argentina. Um, me and Isaac are going to be down there. And then Lisbon JavaScript Conference, LXJS, um, is happening in late September out in Portugal, the week before when uh, JSConf EU is slated to happen. Oh, and Open Source Bridge the week before NodeConf in Portland. Open Source Bridge is an awesome kind of generalist programming conference that's kind of like the open source version of OSCON, which is uh, ironic. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, OSCON is literally the open source convention. And you're like, it's like the open source version of the open source convention. <laughs> yes, it's the, it's the open source conference without all that corporate bullshit. Wow. Nice. Oh, man. Yeah, and I mean, there's Lisbon JS coming up in September as well. I don't think tickets are on sale yet. And uh, at some point, JSConf EU tickets will go on sale too. There's lots and lots of stuff coming up. There's also, I'm just going to hint at it, uh, not going to talk more about it, but just uh, there is a Thai JS event happening at some point in time. So yeah. more details will come out about that as they actually surface, but I don't want to give anything away. Oh, and a summer camp is probably going on. A summer camp will be happening, yeah. NodeConf summer camp will be happening in uh, September. That is the best. That's better than TacoConf, actually. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Taco Conf is, is a free conference, though, and, and NodeConf Summer Camp is actually a conference you have to pay for. If you want but, to sit in a tree with Ryan Dahl and talk about whatever. Trees. <laughs> about trees. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's go to IRC. Does anybody have any modules that they want to bring up and talk about? Come on, IRC. Where's the lag? Oh, I've, I've, got, a, I've got a plug. So. Uh, oh, no, plugs are in a second. Plugs are in a second. Oh, we're doing we're plugs in a we're gonna do plugs after we do IRC. It's always okay, so. A, so what happened to uh, what happened to Stallman? He like had a had a heart attack or something. Is is he still alive? I thought that his whole life was a heart attack. Uh, 
Wait, Richard Stallman had a heart attack? Really? Yeah. Like, Stallman is fine. Subsex says Stallman's fine. Oh, he's fine? Oh. <laughs> Stallman. Stallman's still alive. There's a single serving web, website for that, I'm sure. He served from health I felt at a conference. I felt a, a great disturbance in the, uh, in the force as if a whole lot of crazy had just suddenly drifted out of the world. But I guess he's probably just like sedated or crazy something. Passion. I don't know. Yeah. His spirit flowed into Zed Shaw and we were cool. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Somebody's working on a, a module called Wireless, which handles wireless network stuff. That's really nice. Like when networks appear and, and shit like that. There no, reminds no, me, no, so no, somebody wrote an MDNS module a long time back, and it was really cool, and then I didn't see anything happen with it. Node ecstatic. What is node ecstatic? Static file handler, or server. Yeah, you should just use filed. <laughs> hey, that's bias. You wrote filed. Actually, a cool module on top of ecstatic <laughs> is http-server, and if you install -g in http-server, you can just go into any folder and type HTTP-server to get an HTTP server. And it's really helpful isn't, for... Isn't that just uh, using connect and, and connect static? I don't even know. It, it's using ecstatic, I think. But I don't actually um, care what it uses because I just needed something uh, that did a simple server. And the one in Python had bugs, so I couldn't use it anymore. I, I just served that. Which is use what? There were like... There were... Like, there were Modules that everyone wrote in the arc of about a week, um, and T uh, has his. It's called Serve. Yeah, I tend to not release modules that are four lines of code that I can just paste around. Um, okay, so I think that we're about done. Uh, plugs, plug time. Uh, so I'm I'm gonna uh, I'm looking into right now getting a um, staging server up for the npm website. I need to um, sort of make sure that some things are still are still are like actually working. Um, you should get a hold of a hosting company to provide that. Yeah. No, I, I've got <laughs> I've got hosting already. I'm just gonna put it on the the server that's currently running uh, admin.npmjs.org. The the password resetting thing. So we actually have. Um, actually have a way to now have it like email you a token and then you click on the thing and then it takes you to the website and then you can just like change your password to something else uh, or it'll like reset it to a random string for you so you don't have to do that whole rigmarole where it deletes your account um, which is sort of like a stopgap thing anyway but since the new website is going to be tacking stuff onto your account we can't just be deleting it willy-nilly um, so that'll that'll be uh, That'll be up very soon. It's uh, the package pages are are kind of pretty. Um, this new did uh, did most of that, and there's a uh, keyword patch that I need to pull in from uh, from Milani. I forget his first name, but he's Milani in the IRC room and on GitHub. And um, yeah, so that's that's coming along very nicely, and it should be something you can go poke at pretty soon. So hopefully that'll get more people interested in, in contributing to it. D Shaw. So uh of Node, Vodka Summer of Node is now closed. And uh, we have our final list of guys. Uh D Joe, Kit Cambridge, uh Sean Ricky, and be joining us this up. We're all in a crew to, uh, you sound like a drunk uh, robot. Yeah, D Shaw. <laughs> You're turning into a robot. Okay, basically, uh, I can summarize 
Um, Voxer is doing the Summer of Node, which is like an awesome kind of like Google Summer of Code or the Summer of Ruby uh, that other communities have done. But this one is where you do internships over the summer for college kids. And it's awesome. Thank you guys for doing that. That's amazing for the Node community to have. It's closed. Oh, and it's closed now. So sorry, (laughs) kids out there. Yeah, we're going to show you how awesome it is and then nope, you can't get it. I should talk more about Nodeconf now that it's sold out too. Yeah, it's gonna be amazing. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Um, I don't, I don't think I have anything else to plug. I don't think that I have. I'm, I'm ripping templates out of Taco and making them their own template library. And and Isaac fucking stole my name that I was gonna use for my. You were gonna call it Templar, seriously, like the knights. I, I literally said that to you, and that's where it got into your brain. Ooh. <laughs> no, I think it got into my brain because it's the it's the only word that starts with template that isn't like taken on the npm registry. I I, I definitely like pasted you code samples that said Templar. <laughs> oh really? Oh yeah. I, I'm sorry. It totally infected your brain. And I, then, I did definitely. Well, you know, you you hacked my brain and you injected some some words in it. That's I can hardly be held responsible for stealing your idea when you gave it to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. No, um. You should. What, uh, I, I'd be curious. I'd be curious about what Templar do, doesn't do that you need from it. Um, and uh, so, so th- there's just. I, I'm trying to do something very different. I'll just put. Oh, it that I see. Way. Yeah, I mean, I like essentially, my template library is just a generic loader for all the initial template files, um, and then a common API to write data out. Uh, but then it also has a like whole must system in it where certain values need to be done and then when they are done it'll pipe it out to the response you should do something that uses templar for the half of that that templar does because the common the common thing for loading up all the template files and uh the common api for for actually like running them um that's ex- that's all that templar is and it's pluggable, but, but, so you can templar, plug any, like, templar, So, but Templar requires that um, you you sit on some event in the future, right? Um, when all the templates are done. No, loaded. just at some. Well, it it loads them all up at at startup time, um, and it does that synchronously because that's a load time activity. Like all your template, your template folder needs to fit in memory, and if it doesn't, like you are doing it wrong. Um, no, no, I, I I understand that it needs to be synchronous I/O, but I'm I'm concerned about killing startup time. Um, not not on not on parsing the files necessarily into memory, but just on like reading the directory and stuff like that. Well, yeah, I mean that's but that's the thing. Like reading, you can. It wouldn't be hard to do that asynchronously. Um, mm-hmm. It just doesn't right now because you know it's like what ten files, twenty files, like starting. Loading up all of the different modules that you're requiring is going to be a lot longer than that. So sure. the thing that it doesn't do is the, the should and must, or that, that whole must system, the requirement thing that you were talking about. And all it does is it adds a, uh, it basically gives you an object that you can use to, you know, that you can decorate your request and response with to do response.template and give it a file name and a bunch of data. But you could wrap the, the must thing around that pretty easily. Cool. So we should, we should look into that. Um, and then that should be another thing that does very, very little and is a small module that can just work with any, any framework you want. Cool. Yeah. Let's do it. That's, see, that's, you know, a while ago, do you remember like two years ago? I'm just like fucking kicking myself with hindsight now. Like 
we were all talking about like, well, what's the frame? What's the middleware API for Node going to look like? You know, because like, because like Ruby went through this whole thing, and Python went through this whole thing, and Java is like still figuring it all out uh, in a million different ways. But like, what we came up with, what kind of came out as the clear winner in all that was uh, was Connect, which is, you know, pretty good for what it is. I mean, Express kind of is a good demonstration of that pattern, but like. Connect had a bunch of features that nobody actually used or liked and, and are now all but gone and like and, and Express is basically the pattern that everyone is sort of familiar has become familiar with, but doesn't really take advantage of the fact that like you don't need that stuff in Node. You know, what we should have done was just say like, here's the pattern. The pattern is you have a function and it takes a request and response and you do whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that all of our complaints are essentially with the fact that Express was written before we figured a bunch, of, or sorry, uh, Connect was written before we figured a bunch of this stuff out. Well, Express and, was too. And it, and, it, and it did a bunch of things that like we don't like because we figured out were either a bad idea or we found a better way, but it just predates them. It's not like, you know, it's not like Tim was a bad programmer. <laughs> like right, he was exactly. Or, or TJ. Express Express predates them as well. I mean, if you if you look at um, like early version of the, of Express, Express has been around for a long time. That is a that is a old, venerable Node module. Um, I think it even predates NPM by a ways. Like the first the first Express, I'm pretty sure, was only published on Kiwi. Mm-hmm. You know, just to give you a, a sense of of what we're talking about. So like, but yeah, like the 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 really the really like. All frameworks can use this API. Like that pattern is like this: uh, the no framework HTTP module family that I was kind of talking about, like with cookies and with um, you know Negotiator and and sort of temp and Templar and Red Sesh are kind of in that same pattern where they try to streams. Yeah, this is even like simpler than streams, though. I mean, these things don't even need to be streaming. A lot of the time, they just kind of need to like look at a header and then set something up, or you know set some call res.setheader and like that's it you know or you kind of decorate it with some methods that that parse a template so yeah michael i think that i think that your your templating thing could uh could probably even play off of the the knights um the knights analogy maybe cool. have some pun with that did you know that the templars were actually um like basically they were militant religious terrorists okay that, that attacked a third world country, uh, a, a much more impoverished country. Should Great we do a series of name. modules about terrorism? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, you know, we we don't typically think of the the knights the knights templar as being um, as being terrorists, but like you know, it's kind of what they were. Like they were they were a militant organization that were like driven by a religious ideology to go attack another country. We're so far off the reservation right now. <laughs> all right. Now this is a metaphor for programming culture. Okay. Kill no, all it's a metaphor, it's a metaphor this for templates right now. This it's a metaphor for templates, man. <laughs> <laughs> they just like attack the hell out of the out of the response. Looking forward to your terrorist templating language. Yeah, the most successful generals have good flow control. Yes. You should, Michael. You should name your template thing jihadis. Oh no, sleeper cells. Sleeper cells because it sits and it waits. For all the things it needs, and then when it gets triggered, it's like wah attacks. I'm not, hey, let's have... my mo- I'm not telling you my module name because I'll wake up and it'll be gone. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's Seriously. offend another group of people. <laughs> are, there, are there any more? Are there, is there somebody we didn't offend? Uh, women. 
<laughs> oh no, no. Oh, that's so done. I'm I'm hanging up. Um, no, because like because we've been offending women. This has been Note Up, episode nineteen. Thank you very much, everybody. <laughs> I'm Michael at Michael on Twitter. Follow at Note Up. Uh, follow at Isaac at, at IZS. Max Ogden is Max Ogden. Substack, who wasn't technically here, is at Substack. D Shaw is D Shaw. He was here in spirit. Yeah, he was here in spirit. Good night, everybody. I guess. Good morning.